Hey everyone, John Wertheim here. It's this week's Sports Illustrated Tennis Podcast. This week, we connect with one of our all-time favorites. It's Lindsay Davenport. Lindsay, of course, is our colleague, our buddy, more importantly, a Tennis Hall of Famer, former U.S. Open champion, a very astute commentator. Uh, I will stop now for a plug and say that uh, Lindsay and I will be part of the Tennis Channel morning show to preview the U.S. Open. That will be uh, 10 o'clock Eastern on Tennis Channel. That out of the way. Uh, Lindsay is great. We um, preview the 2020 U.S. Open, I guess, uh, insofar as you can preview and prognosticate with so little data and so much swirling craziness, all of these variables, but we have uh, a good conversation. Thanks to the guest. Um, We taped this on Thursday, so this was after... uh, Wednesday night in the Naomi Osaka-led stoppage of play to the um, the, the Cincinnati and New York event. So we acknowledge that. We talk a bit about that and uh, systemic injustice and uh, Naomi Osaka's leadership role. And then we talk about the U.S. Open and what we can possibly expect when there are so many unknowns. And uh, for so many players, uh, it's it's been a season with so little actual tennis and sanctioned matches. So uh, anyway, good, fun free-flowing tennis conversation. I think you'll enjoy it. Lindsay is as good as it gets as a commentator, and she shows why. Um, so here we go. Uh, here's Lindsay. Good. What's happening? It's been an interesting year, I'd say. Um, let's uh, help us make sense out of tennis in, uh, in, in late August 2020. I don't even know where to begin here, because usually we do these things and we, uh, well, you know, in Cincinnati, she looked X, and a week before that in Canada, she looked Y. She's coming off a Wimbledon fourth round. I, I got nothing here. Um, I mean, where – I guess, you know what, let's, let's, start with, um, let's start with social justice. This is a moving target, but obviously we're doing this on Thursday when there is no tennis at the tennis center, uh, mostly because of Naomi Osaka. You, let's just – I think we're going to get outpaced by news, but you want to just sort of top-line thoughts? I'm just amazed at this young lady and how she has – really just grown into the person and the leader that she is. I mean, we saw her two years ago, John, win a U.S. Open under controversial circumstances, almost crying when she got the trophy, and not the happy tears, by the way. Um, We saw her not comfortable in the spotlight, and we've seen her truly in this past year really just blossom into this amazing leader. And I, you know, I think we thought that it was possible, but I didn't think at this young age, in her early 20s, that she would be the type of player or person who would be leading our sport. And it's amazing to see we haven't had a player willing to sacrifice, really willing to do whatever necessary for the greater good and look past, oh, my tennis or my match or anything else. Um, put all of that ahead to make a bigger impact. And it's amazing. I, I mean, honestly, yesterday, as all these stories kept coming through, um, I was getting the chills. And then she just was just amazing. Just doesn't, this is important. And you know what happened? It forced, not forced, it allowed oh, totally. me to bring it up with my young kids, something that maybe that I, I don't know what it would have happened. I'm talking to a six-year-old about why this is going on in the world. And a lot of that is because of Naomi Osaka. I think, too, that uh, she, she had a lot of people within tennis scrambling. And someone said to me, I do, did one of these radio shows, and they said, well, isn't she the highest paid female athlete? And my point to that is, like, yeah, all the more reason for her not to do, like, since, since when does that cut 
your way. If anything, that makes it all the more um, impressive that she has that many business relationships that she needs to keep in mind. I um, do, do you have any insight what brought this on? I mean, you know, there's she. It was interesting to hear how she self-identified. There's a boyfriend. There's you know she was in Minneapolis. But do you have any insight as to what sort of spurred this? Um. Not really. You know, I was fascinated during, you know, the pandemic lockdown about hearing and about her going to Minnesota and being willing um, to take such a strong stand. Honestly, during a pandemic, I mean, we have so many crazy things going on right now. And I was, I remember thinking, wow, that is really remarkable from her. Um, And then when this all came about, you know, my first reaction was, wow, I can't believe it. And then about five minutes later, I'm like, yep, good for her. And, and, you know, the, the support of everybody in the tennis world, from what I've seen so far, at least on social media and other platforms, it's remarkable. And I think that everybody knows now. I mean, we've had we had players in the 70s lead us and be willing to sacrifice and be willing to walk away and willing to fight for the greater good. A lot of that kind of went away and there was all of a sudden you get a player again that's like, nope, this is way more important than my tennis or anything else. I think that um, she's earned. The, she had the respect of everyone in the tennis world. She's now earned it from you know other people around the world. And uh, all this is in the context of you know a major seventy-two hours away, and nobody's going anywhere. Everybody's going to. It's not like everyone's going to fly to a different destination. I mean, she's doing this when everybody is in lockdown. Um, I where where are you? If, the, if there's a continuum here, we we have this among uh, our colleagues. If some people say this is nuts, this is reckless come back in 2021 and other people say the show's got to go on. We don't even need this bubble. Where are you sort of in the spectrum? You know, when I first heard about these kind of plans, these uh, in, I think it was about May of the USTA is maybe thinking about doing it in a bubble. And I remember going, wow, that's crazy. I can't believe it. You got all these people flying in from all over the world. It's not as simple as everyone based in the States and figuring this out. Then each step of the way, everything, nope, this is going to be fine. Players can fly in from overseas. This is what we have organized. And now hearing from players that are in this bubble for like the last two weeks, hearing from people that are playing in the Cincinnati tournament in New York. um, If if I were a current player and I was experienced in that, I don't think I'd play outside a bubble now. (laughs) I mean, they're talking about, you know, Rome, the tournament in Rome set out some kind of paper that you know going over their rules where they strongly suggest players don't go out to eat yeah that should be a rule I mean that's the kind of behavior that could really bring down tournaments I mean unfortunately if you want to play you're going to have to really kind of be in a bubble and you want to make sure everyone else around you is also in a bubble so you don't pick it up from them or from their coach or from their hitting partner from their trainer so I think if this this tournament can these two tournaments continue to go through without anything crazy happening with no really positive results and the virus not spreading and them the USTA being able to contain it I don't see how you don't I don't see how you can play not in a bubble for the rest of of this pandemic. Ooh, that's a real I mean a real reversal. I mean it used to be I can't the USTA is being so strict and these these guidelines are oppressive. You're saying the opposite. You're saying you go to Europe and these players are going to say, wait a second, why are there fans walking around the grounds? I, I mean, that would be me. And I'm obviously, you know, everyone, I mean, we saw Halep, Halep was scared to go into a bubble. So everybody has their own, their own comfort level. 
if it were me, I would not feel comfortable playing a tournament where I know that everyone could have gone out to dinner or could have gone to a nightclub and then be within six feet of me the next day. That is me. So we'll see. I mean, in Europe, the cases went down. It sounds like they're starting to tick up again. This virus is not going anywhere anytime soon. So to think that they're past it or it's not going to happen, you, you can't have that mindset. You have to have the mindset if you were organizing something that it's around, how do we get um, away with not having it get into our atmosphere? It's, it's a bubble life, unfortunately. I think that's I think that's really smart. I mean, I think it's really responsible. But I also think you're right, though. If if the U.S. Open pulls this off, it's really interesting. If the U.S. Open pulls this off, suddenly the pressure is going to be like, wait a second, it worked there, big deal. We had a lot of Uber Eats, and we didn't get to go to Nobu. But you know what? We all got paid, and we all got healthy, and we all played tennis. And we all had an opportunity to do our trade, to earn more money, to win a trophy. Um, And then you hear about from Tennis Australia, Tennis Australia has been planning for their January 2021 tournament since March and April of this year to be played in what is a biometric bubbles. I mean, they're on it, they know, and they've started the organization. USTA started in April, May, trying to organize this in a bubble. They're, They're not dummies. They know exactly if they want their tournament, their best chance for their tournament to take place and not be affected it's, it's to have the players contained. Melbourne today, 117 cases. It was like so 750, good. you know, earlier this month, it was like 750. Yep. So uh, yep. anyway, um, so g- given our, uh, I thought we tried something different. G- given our absence of lead in events and of momentum and data points, this is either going to be catastrophically bad or, or uh, a different way to do it. <laughs> you, re- you ready to rock with me? Yep. Yep. I'm going to give you the factor instead of talking about players and who did what, because we don't have anything to base this on. If I, if I give you the factor, tell me who it helps or hurts. All right. We have all these crazy variables this year. Right. So if I say like, if I say no fans, who who does that impact and who might that impact positively? Well, I mean, the theory being that it helps the players with not that much experience, right. It's a lot less overwhelming to walk into Arthur Ashe looking around and not hearing 20,000 people cheer for your opponent if you are not well known, if it's your first match out there. I, after thinking about it last week, I think it helps Serena because I'll tell you why. She's had some of her greatest triumphs there, 1999, first Grand Slam, but she's also had some of the moments that she wants to erase from her career. And for whatever reason, in New York brings out the most stressed Serena I think we've we've ever seen playing on tour is that the fans I don't know maybe she wants to win in front of them too much or she feels so much anxiety whatever reason that court and that situation has brought out some of the the higher stress Serena's I say she's playing she can handle no fans she has enough motivation I think that might ease just a little bit of the pressure on her oh wow that's that's uh I had a, a former player when she was struggling against Sakari the other night texted and said, Serena can't adjust to playing in front of nobody. She's used to the spotlight and Jay-Z and Beyonce. It's been years and years and years. It feels like practice to her. I could tell that's, that's, that's a really interesting. I, I wonder, you know, in that court that, that was grandstand, that wasn't Arthur Ashe. Right, right, right. It was day after day. She was physically breaking down. I mean, the, the biggest thing for Serena is every other day. She needs that day of rest. I mean, so she's going to get that. I think 
that being and sacrificing, being in a bubble and going for 24, I think, I think she'll be okay. We'll see though. Um, okay. What, what about this limited freedom of movement? You know, usually this is the week players come to New York and they do their sponsor appearances and they go and they hang out in the East village. What about, uh, who, who is impacted positively and negatively by, uh, life at the hotel? That's interesting. I mean, so you have some of the top players, Stacy said it was under 10, um, that were in private housing. Mm-hmm. Um, I think for the really top players, it probably lessens a lot of the stress because they don't have all those sponsor things to go to and all these events and all these media things. Um, but I think the players who are more creatures of habit, like aren't party animals that are just fine, kind of quiet lives, but I don't know who those players are. <laughs> I do know like someone, um, you know, like Serena normally had a million things going on the week before the U S open and running around from appearance to appearance. I think for the top players, um, they've gotten rid of all of that. So that obviously takes away a lot of stress, but I, I don't, that's a good one. I don't know exactly who that would be. What, who do you uh, think? I'll throw, I'll throw a name at you. Like, yeah. like the checks, like, like Patrick Vitova, right? Right. She'd come and she'd say, Oh, it's, it's too chaotic and the traffic. Yeah, That's a good one. Plishkova uh-huh. maybe. Holla if she were playing. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, um, yeah. I'll give you that. What about, um, what's another factor? Or, I mean, fast courts is obvious, right? I'm going to say the physicality. I'm going to say for the men going to three out of five sets. Yeah, yeah, that's good. What about that? Crazy. And I think we're going to see um, players that become a bigger factor than it's ever been in a major. You have players that worry about it going into Australia and they talk about, Oh, my off season of, like what five six weeks at the most maybe seven and they're concerned about it going into australia so now you take players who for six months haven't been able to do it it's not one it's the whole field some not able to practice some not able to train for parts of that we're going to see a lot of retirements a lot of bodies breaking down as the tournament goes on so who gets through that first week pretty comprehensively will they'll have a huge advantage going into the second week um who is able to not kind of get injured and recover. I, I don't know. I think that, I think it was a lot to ask to play three out of five sets. We just have to see how that part of it plays out. Riskier to change the format. I, I get that. And they're playing for history, but I think we'll, unfortunately, I think it's, it's a little too much to ask too soon. That's uh, I don't know if you saw Med, or, uh, who, I think Medvedev's quotes today were like, Oh, we're all going to break down. I wish it were best of three. And you want, and, but I think you're absolutely right. You have so much that's quirky anyway. <laughs> then add, oh yeah, the men only have to play best of three on top of all that. You, you've got to yeah. get tested every day. You can't leave a hotel. They're not going to be fans or entourages. And, oh, by the way, we're changing the format we've had for decades. I don't, I don't think. Yeah, I mean, they're trying to like, how do you make this U.S. Open as legitimate as possible? You can't all of a sudden change the format, right? They're, they're already going through a lot of criticisms and everything else. I just think it's going to be the biggest factor and the biggest factor, the physicality on the men's side that we've ever seen. Um, what about those? I don't know if you've, I'm sure you've heard the same things I have, but this courts are just grease lightning. Yeah. Um, you know, I think we're going back to the late nineties. I mean, there was a couple of years there where Patrick were after one where it was, and I played in that era. It was like impossible to have rallies. The court was so incredibly fast. Everyone who's been on site, has said that and people who were around and that very long time ago have said the same thing. It seems like it was back then. So who does that favor? 
we'll have to see. I mean, Serena and Venus, if they're serving well and it allows them to get one to two free points every service game, that's obviously a huge advantage. Um, you know, it can help the players, you know, keeps their balls lower that maybe don't have that much power. You, you never quite know, but I would take a, an aggressive player, players that take balls early and players that serve well on the women's side. Petra Kvitova is a great example. Um, I think that those, those, the, those kind of conditions will help those ladies. Because you are pathologically modest. It falls on me to say this. You know who won the women's title the year Pat Rafter won? <laughs> Um, all right. What, what about, um, what about these limited entourages? I think, I think it's great. And I actually think that the tournaments are going to kind of shift more towards that. I mean, it was getting a bit ridiculous, like the requests. And I mean, even for John, you and I, <laughs> we get requests too for like people. And so I think it's one way to maybe contain some of the numbers and also actually help control expenses moving forward that you, the tournament's not responsible for you know feeding the 10 plus entourage from certain players now this generation will there be comfort playing like that like could Rafa play with three people and not a bunch of people I, I don't know they're obviously accustomed to that so maybe it, it slowly gets worked in but I think it's great I think the numbers were getting a little bit too ridiculous for some of the players what do you need you need a coach maybe you need a hitter you need someone for injuries right then you can, do you want your family, who from the family comes? It, it's complicated, but I think overall it's a trend that is going in the right way. Do you think uh, it will have a material impact on some of these players that are used to traveling in packs and now only have one or two people? It could. I mean, technically, if, if you're one of those really top players and money's not an issue, from what I understand, they can all be at your house, yeah, yeah. right? So it, it's like, so you could still have, if you wanted your chef or you wanted your masseuse. And I don't know who travels with those kind of people. They actually, they can't still be there helping you. They can't leave their house and they can't go on site. And from also what I understood is as the tournament moves forward and other players lose and leave the bubble, more of those guests are then allowed in to watch. So my understanding is then that the families who are there might be able to come the second week or something. So we'll have to see how that plays out. I mean, who knows, but um, you know, it's definitely maybe evens it out a little bit on site for some of the lower ranked players that don't have as much money to spend on that kind of stuff. Um, what about kind of the whole macro batshit craziness of this year? I mean, everything from the, the travel and the fears and the social media component. I mean, who, who do you think this impacts well and ill? Wow. Um, I think mentally it's taken its toll on everybody, right? As you said, from the beginning of the fear, um, the mental anguish of, for some people of being locked down and locked in and not being able to have their freedoms as they're so accustomed to it, to the fear of getting back, traveling, playing an international sport, even being around people again. Um, I have no idea. I mean, that's, that's so great. I mean, everyone's gone through such different experiences with it. You know, someone in Florida might've had access to a court and at a house and not that, not that phased by it, got their injuries better and are fine. And someone in a different part of the world might've been not allowed to leave their apartment for months and months. So um, I think as we see more players coming back and we actually hear more of the personal stories, not just little snippets that have come out or social media posts, or um, I think you'll see how, 
affected all these players have been. And remember, there's no one really fighting for them, like in a team sport. There's no one like, okay, we're going to help you. We're going to get you somewhere safe. I mean, you're the, these players were out there battling on their own. Not sure what was going to happen with the tours. Not sure when they'd be able to play again. Um, so I think you're going to hear like a lot of kind of horror war stories from these players on how they were got through this um, kind of crazy time for those few months. I think you're so right. I think the, the mental health dimension to all this in sports is going to be like one of the big takeaways. Um, if, uh, if I gave you Novak and I took players two to 128, would you, <laughs> uh, would you sign up for that? Uh, I don't think so. I think that, I mean, he's the clear favorite, right? Right. I, I, I don't know. I'm not, I'm not positive. I mean, we, we don't have enough sample size to say yet, like, oh, he's going to win or he's not going to win. But I'm going to say, and I do believe he's the favorite, but I think it's going to be someone else that wins. I think it, for a player like that, I'm going to, even though his tennis is so good, I'm going to take the opposite where he's so structured and used to things going one way. And he's won so many times that this, all these changes, maybe, maybe, maybe it's a lot for him. You know, we'll have to see. And maybe someone like Tsitsipas or someone younger coming through is like, yeah, whatever, I'm just going to play. I don't I don't know what it's like to have 20,000 people watching me in the final or, or not. I don't know. So I think tennis-wise, it's it's kind of stupid to bet against Novak and his experience. But I, I don't know. I just have a feeling it's going to be something crazy, a crazy result at the end. Did you uh, – this, this is not to gossip. This is to a wind-up. Did you see Curios's tweet yesterday about Novak? Yeah. I did. So my, my takeaway from that, yeah, exactly. And, and I mean, I think you and I are probably in agreement that that um, may not be consistent with uh, how players tend to interact. You, you have an issue with me, see me in the locker room, but don't air it like Yeah, that. I don't. I mean, I'm not a big fan of airing grievances online or on social media anyways, or trying to call out players or pressure players or any of that kind of stuff. So, you know, Nick is Nick. He's obviously, and these players are growing up in a different generation. So obviously it's more comfortable and familiar for them to use that kind of outlet. Um, but it, it's hard. I mean, it's just right now, especially with the tour starting, I think you want to just, just go a little bit more positive, <laughs> but you know, that's, I think that's Nick. I mean, we had, um, um, the, the ATP tour brass being called out for not being on site also by some of the players. Yeah. I mean, so they're using this, it, you know, could, could Jill's have maybe called, <laughs> you know, Andrea Garenzi and Massimo Cavelli and said, are, are you guys coming? Why aren't you here? But people are using social media. It, it's just, it's not something I'm comfortable with, but we get used to it and it's entertainment for us on the sidelines. Right. Um, no, I mean, my windup was not to sort of gossip about uh, this, this Twitter beef, but I just think, like, this is a year when all norms are off. And yeah. <laughs> players, are, players are stopping in the middle of events to protest, and you have players questioning the ethics of their colleagues over the Internet, and you've got exactly what you said. You've got players using Twitter to call out executives. I, I just wonder sort of how this – manifest itself at the tournament, especially with Djokovic, who has not, you know, he has, we, all, we keep saying he hasn't lost a match all year, but he's taken a lot of L's. 
And I just wonder how all of this I, – I don't think he's going to start losing matches because Nick Kyrgios is uh, calling him a bad leader. But I just wonder how all of this dissonance impacts a top player right now. It, a lot. I mean, it was Novak the other day who said, both my coaches wish I would get off the council. I mean, you have to know that in this pandemic, he was spending hours and hours and hours in talks – talking to, you know, the executives, talking to, trying to talk to the player board, trying to figure these things out. It is a lot of stress to bring on. This generation seems a little bit better at being able to kind of handle a lot of different things, whether it be endorsements or social injustices or other, other um, areas that give them a lot of pleasure. I, I don't know. It would have been very hard for me to, to be able to go back and forth and spend a lot of energy on other stuff and not just the tennis. So give, give this whole generation a lot of credit for being able to do stuff like that. It's these, these little devices, they, they give and they take. Um, yeah. So what about, so if Novak is the overwhelming favorite on the women, I'm guessing the, uh, the top seed, I mean, on the men's side, I'm ge guessing the top seed on the women's side is, is considerably less of a favorite. Um, I, I mean, okay. So we talk about this, who is your favorite before I answer to win the women's? Naomi Osaka. Um, yeah, okay. I don't, know. I, I don't know. No, I know. That's the problem right now with the women. I mean, you just follow the results even of the Cincinnati tournament. You're not really sure. How about in Lexington, all of a sudden it was Jen Brady. I think there's so many players with a chance to win the whole thing. And we say that the last few years on women's tennis. I think there's even more players with a chance. I was so bummed that Goff and Osaka were in that same little section again. All right. So you've seen yeah, – I was going to ask you. You've seen the draw. I saw the draw. That that bummed me out more than anything in the whole draw. I don't want to see them play in a third round again. No, thank you. I want to see that in the semifinals, yeah. in the, maybe the quarters, maybe the finals, whatever. I don't want to see that the first week. Um, because, so, because why? Well, I think that you've got two of the favorites. And just because of the age eligibility and obviously not being able to play and bring the ranking up, you know, Coco gets thrown into the mercy of the draw gods and – She's getting tough draws now. I mean, Osaka third round of the, it's potentially going to be three majors in a row. That's rough. I'd love to see her play someone else. Um, but those courts, Osaka has looked good on that site so far. The one thing I'd love to keep in mind and not comparing it too much is the top players will play on Ash or Armstrong. Those courts are not like the other courts. They're not like the grandstand court they're using as the main court for Cincy. Those courts are protected. They play much more indoor friendly tennis than those the wide open grandstand out on the field courts mm -hmm. um so i think that gives a little bit of advantage to some players like a kavitova those were not the conditions they were playing in this past week um other players who like fast courts if you're going to be on one of those top two courts you're not dealing with the elements you don't really have to deal with the wind it's so guarded even with the roof is open a little bit um it's mostly in the shade so even if it gets sunny at certain parts of the day you're more you're more guarded on those courts um, I think that's going to help some of the bigger hitters that may have gone out early in the Cincinnati tournament. Um, do we, let's, let's talk about the third seed who uh, I think, I think Serena's played five matches so far. I think she's played five, three setters. She hasn't played anyone in the top 20 and the last set she played against Maria Sakari was fairly excruciating uh, as a, as a viewing uh, proposition. What, uh, what, what are we thinking here? I really liked her chances um, before Cincinnati happened. <laughs> like, like the courts are fast. She got some matches in Lexington. 
Um, again, she's one of those players that's going to benefit greatly from not playing on the grandstand court at the Billie Jean King National Tennis Center and playing in Arthur Ashe. And it's, very, it's much more protected. So again, the wind won't be an issue really and, and some other factors. But not used to seeing the third set like we saw against Sakari. Um, I think the physical ambulance will become less of an issue for Serena. Those every other day off is huge. I would guess that she's going to be playing Monday if I was on her team. And she didn't, wasn't carrying a big injury from Cincinnati over to the main draw. You want to start off and give yourself as many days as possible to play in that tournament, unless she's not quite a hundred percent. That'd be the only reason I would think she wouldn't play Monday. Um, she needs a good solid first week. I don't think she wants to be going three sets early on and have to be playing catch up physically that second week. Um, we'll see. She left a, little, a couple more questions um, after playing those matches um, last week than she made a statement. Um, but no one likes to underestimate her, especially in these circumstances. But even her quotes were like, I, it's hard to stay positive. She's not playing the level she wants to play at right now. Um, what, what's your sort of getaway? I mean, this is such a strange, you know, usually we sort of, we go through the list and players have played 60 matches by now and they're carrying an injury. I feel like this is just who the hell knows. Um, <laughs> exactly. Toss above a bunch of names and there, there you go. I mean, some of the draw, I mean, we talk about the draw. I mean, Venus gets Muhova first round. That, that's not an easy draw. And that's like sometimes the luck that you need when you're unseated is to get into a nice little window where you can win a match or two and then kind of get on a roll. That's a tough draw. Maybe she gets through that and maybe that gives her the confidence. Um, and you've got other spots in the draw that look a little bit more wide open. I, I don't know. It, it's a weaker field than we're used to seeing just because there's so many players who aren't there. Um, but still, I mean, they're playing for a grand slam title and there's no clear cut favorite on the women's side. There are two players who reached the final of the previous major on kind of sort of the same surface and their names have uh, not yet entered the conversation. Um, how do we feel about uh, Mugu and, and Kenan? Well, let's see. I mean, it was great news that Mugu decided to come over to the bubble and she pulled out of the Cincinnati with her ankle. So, I mean, we haven't even seen her, right? We've seen some practice. We've seen some poolside shots. <laughs> we'll have to see, um, get it, watch her play a match or two. Kenan, that was a rough watch against Pornay. That's not the Kenyon that we saw in Australia. Um, the courts in Australia were pretty quick, apparently not quite as quick as these courts. Maybe the courts are too fast for her. I, I don't know. We've got to see her um, play a couple more matches on that. But she, she looked overwhelmed and she looked like she was not ready to play yet. I, I got to think that she's put in a lot of work this past week to get ready to play next week. Um, but I don't know. I mean, it's, it's possible those courts are maybe, maybe just a little too skiddy for her. All right. Last question as a thought exercise, the nanosecond this event ends, someone will win a major and there will be 11 people in the stadium. Can you imagine a stranger feeling in tennis? I mean, this is a for, you know, provided it's not Novak or Serena. I mean, this is a, career-defining moment for a player and it's basically going to happen on the equivalent of a practice court I mean could you imagine this that's funny I haven't even thought about that I mean we talk about playing but how about celebrating okay I'm gonna I'm gonna venture a guess to say that the players entourages will for the first time be allowed to actually 
jump on the court and tackle the player. The player doesn't have to go to the stands. That's probably number one. We're going to see that, which we probably won't see again. Um, yeah. Oh my gosh. I hadn't even, haven't thought of the ramifications of winning. Um, you know, we're going to have a grand, two grand slam champions, um, played at a tournament. We never really thought had a chance of happening. If you go back a few months, we had the French postponing, we had Wimbledon canceling, like New York was just blowing up. Um, I think it'll be interesting. I'm, I'm going to guess the USTA has a trick or two up their sleeves to make it, um, kind of stand out and not, not be the normal kind of celebration. Uh, it will be interesting to see what it is. I think they're going to dust off Phil Collins and Lenny Kravitz from uh, <laughs> past. No, I, I, I like what you said too. This is the, uh, instead of they're going to reverse it, instead of the player like climbing up and yes. the, the entourage is going to spill out onto the court. If I were there or whatever, I would, I would run on the court if that was like by player or by child. I mean, who, there's no security that's going to tackle you down this year. <laughs> That's when your mask can go. Um, all right. Good. Uh, this, is, uh, this is always is uh, it's always great fun. Um, we'll see you in France. Well, yeah, I'll, th- I'll be watching next week. All right, you and me both. Um, <laughs> thanks. Always a pleasure. Bye, John. All right, take care. All right. Thanks to Lindsay. Thanks to LD. That was a fun conversation. Uh, Free flowing, as we say. But what other way is there to do it? Uh, when this season is in such a crazy spot and so many of these stories are moving targets. U.S. Open starts on Monday, the 31st. Again, Tennis Channel will be there with a pregame show at 10 o'clock Eastern. Then the matches begin, and who knows how this is going to break. No one knows anything. Novak Djokovic is our favorite. Uh, That we know on the men's side, the women's field is wide open, and there are so many variables and twists to this event that we will just have to uh, see how it unfolds. This gives new dimension to the uh, to the Open and U.S. Open, but we'll be watching. So thanks to Lindsay. Thanks as always to Jamie Lasanti. Thanks to Shelby Royston, who is uh, filling in with some producing. Uh, we will try and do one of these, at least one, during the tournament, and uh, we will be emailing this out. We'll be, we'll be uh, putting this on social media with alerts. So thanks to everyone for listening. Keep the guest suggestions coming. You can subscribe, leave a review, iTunes, Stitcher, wherever you get your podcasts. Have a good week, everyone. Enjoy the first week of the second major. And uh, we'll do it again in a few days. Take care.